Welcome to Financial Advisors Say the Darndest Things. I'm your host, A.B. Ridgeway. If you're looking for faith-based financial advice that you can actually understand, then you've come to the right place. On this show, we demystify all the financial jargon that you may hear from your financial advisor. We leverage proven financial strategies, but use faith-based principles for guidance. And during this process, we pray for discernment so we can understand the things that work for you. This program is for the beginner. Those who want to learn about finances, but doesn't have the time or willingness to go get a master's of business administration in finance or sit through an eight hour online class to figure out what a bond is. So if you are like the other millions of investors that wish they knew what the heck their advisor was talking about, be prepared to be prepared. So sit back and relax not if you're driving, as we get this show started. Hey, B. Yeah. Cue the music. Let's make this happen. I want to go where the moon shines bright. I want to dance under the stars tonight. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we are going to be talking about three things you need to understand before you invest. By the end of this podcast, you'll be able to scratch three things off of your list of things to do before risking your money in the stock market. Now, if you missed our last podcast where we discussed the stock market and the two drivers of it, sentiments and fundamentals, make sure you check that out because my last statement will not sound as bad if you have. So today we will talk about seeking many advisors. See, we want to make sure we are getting financial information and not just financial opinions. Nobody knows everything. So our second topic is about having enough money to invest because we don't want to risk our livelihood for the potential for more. We want to make sure that the money we invest is actually investable and we describe ways to figure that out. And lastly, it is debt. See, many of my clients don't have to worry about debt because most have their homes paid off and looking for ways to secure their future and the futures of their children. But I felt it was important to teach them as well so they can teach the next generation in their families. So let's get right into it. But first, and as always, we start off with the scripture of the day. And today is Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. As the scripture states, seek as many advisors as you can. See, this scripture is a driving force behind my success. My favorite phrase is, even though I am alone, I am not by myself. When you are building a business or taking on any endeavor in life, it is very important to take on many advisors. I still learn from other advisors and business owners because I am a student of this financial world, no matter how much quote-unquote education and quote-unquote years of experience that I have. Now, even though I am advising to take on many counselors, it is not condoning listening to each and every one of those that offer their advice. It is intended for you to seek their counsel and using the power of discernment and seeking the knowledge God has provided you to determine which piece is right for you. Now, remember, it can come from the most unusual places, so you must be open to all possibilities. 
And keep this in mind. Some may give you some advice and it may be so far off base, but at least they're telling you what not to do, right? And when it comes to finances, don't just listen to me. I am only one man with one perspective. Check my advice with others, financial magazines, online articles, friends, and other advisors that you trust. That is why you will find other advisors and experts on my podcast, because I want my listeners to have a full perspective on investing at large. But the key is to seek counsel of those you feel have the knowledge to provide solid advice. I wouldn't seek the counsel of an electrician to find out about my toilet just like I wouldn't seek a gym partner on how to open a restaurant. One thing you will notice is that as the sample size of your advisor increases, the more advisors you have for a given issue, you will develop a trend of consistent advice and you can disregard the outliers. Now, outliers are those opinions that are on the opposite side of the bell curve and come up with the best answer for yourself. So if if you know what a bell curve looks like, Some are going to be on the high. Some are going to be on the low. Those are what we call outliers. But you want to concentrate on where the majority or the average falls in. The ultimate goal of this process is not to ensure success. The idea is to increase the probability of it. Because even with many advisors, we still may fail. And that's okay because at least we failed because of the circumstances and not because of a lack of knowledge. Then we can learn from that mistake and try to avoid it in the future. And and that's the beauty of life. We can make mistakes, correct them, and keep moving. So when it comes to your finances, seek financial counsel from those who are in the financial industry, and many of them, not one or two, try to get as many people as you can, because what happens is we get pigeonholed in this perspective, right? Even though I'm a faith-based financial advisor, you may want to seek two, three, or four different ones to get a different perspective, because my perspective is not the only perspective that's out there, right? So here is a quick takeaway. Get at least three answers for one question. Sounds kind of absurd, but what you'll start to find out is that as you search for these answers, the same answers start to appear over and over again. I mean, how many times do you have to hear that two plus two equals four to know that's possibly the right answer, right? So anyway, Ask three financial advisors or someone you trust to get their opinion. And when you feel you have the answer you need, then you can move forward. And and speaking of figuring out how much to invest, that leads us to our next topic. Figure out how much money you need before you invest. See, I'm seeing a lot of commercials for investing your pennies from every transaction into the market. And it kind of hurts my heart a little bit, to be honest. See, as as many of my listeners are beginners and trying to learn about investing, it's sad to know that those who don't have the opportunity to hear this find themselves investing money that they need to live. Many of the clients that I deal with have large sums of money, but just don't know what to do with it. And that's why they seek my counsel. And even though they may have a million dollars saved, they're unsure how much should be in savings for emergencies and how much is needed to be invested. You know, when they go to these advisors, they go, oh, well, the whole million, right? Because they're greedy and not practical. And that's why my clients trust me, because when they come to seek my counsel, I'm trying to figure out the best strategy for that money and not necessarily what's the best strategy for my pockets. And also, there's a couple of things I want my listeners to understand. One is living expenses and the other is inflation. So 
living expenses is just as it sounds. How much does it cost you per month or year to live and not just survive, but to live the lifestyle that you choose? Now, many of us can survive on a lot less than we spend on living. Now, remember, surviving is food, water, shelter, not Internet, TVs, phones, dining out, vacations, new shoes, etc. Yet these items are luxuries that many of us have taken for granted. So let's just focus on living expenses for the sake of the argument, which includes electricity bills, taxes, mortgages, car payments, etc. How much of your money do you need to pay all of your bills and fund your lifestyle? Let's say, for easy math, that is $7,000 per month. This is your living expense. Now that you know how much it will cost to live, the general recommendation is if you are single to maintain at least a three-month emergency fund. If you're married or have a dependent, like a child, or an elderly parent that you are taking care of, that number can jump up to six to eight months. So that would mean that before you even decide if you should invest, you need to ask yourself, if your income stopped today, would you still be able to survive slash live for three to eight months without having to reach for your investments? This way, you will have time to find a new job, receive unemployment or disability. Now, now this will not guarantee that your resources that you saved up will carry you through this time because we don't know if your air conditioner will go out, you might need a new transmission on your car, or you get a flood damage on your home. But this is a general reference and should be used as a guide and not a rule. We're basically assuming that your lifestyle stays pretty much the same. Now, the second idea is inflation. Now, I want to give you another warning. There's some more financial jargon coming, so please bear with us. You may have to play this part a couple of times. But what is inflation? Inflation is the decline of purchasing power of a given currency over time. A quantitative estimate of the rate at which the decline in purchasing power occurs can be reflected in the increase of an average price level of a basket of selected goods and services in an economy over some period of time. The rise in the general level of prices, often expressed as a percentage, means that a unit of currency effectively buys less than it did in prior periods. Now, what does this mean in simple terms? That's why I love this show, because we get to break down these type of terms in terms everyone can understand. So, inflation in simple terms. If you buy milk in 2010 and it costs you $2, you put $2 in a jar to buy milk in 2020. And 10 years later, you go into that same jar, you go to the store to buy that milk you bought 10 years ago for $2, and guess what? Milk is $2.50 because milk was in that basket of goods that they selected and the price has inflated inflated from two dollars to 250 so what happened why is it more expensive i gave you the answer it's inflation so now you can't buy that gallon of milk even though you have that same two dollars from 10 years ago right you put it in a jar you squeezed it on tight and you pulled it out and you couldn't buy the milk now, you didn't lose any money, quote unquote, but you lost what they call purchasing power. The same $2 is there. You didn't lose a penny. You lost what they call purchasing power. Now, what many of our investors think is that since it's in a savings account, 
aka a jar, that it is safe. But as you see in the example, when your money is not growing, you still may lose purchasing power due to inflation. So some are afraid of losing the actual dollar amount, you know, $1 or 50 cent or, or $2. But when you squeeze it in a jar and inflation is rising, but you're still losing that money in an indirect way, right? So how do you fight inflation? This is how you do it. You, you put money in assets that will grow potentially more than inflation. So if inflation is at 2%, meaning this basket of goods, overall it grew 2%, and you invest in something that gained 3%. And it doesn't matter what that thing was. It could be you invested in real estate, you could have invested in uh, a business, whatever the case may be, but you gain 3%. Well, guess what? Now you can buy that milk 10 years later. And maybe with the extra money, you can actually buy some gum too, right? So now that we understand inflation and living expenses, how much money do you need before you think about investing? Now, this is going to differ for every client. And my recommendation is that you seek the counsel of an advisor. But if you don't have a savings account that will cover your living expenses, then you may want to reconsider risking assets that you may need in the near future for a foreseen or unforeseen circumstance. A great investment problem is investing short-term money in long-term vehicles and investing long-term money in short-term vehicles. We brought this up in our last podcast, which basically means you need to put the right dollars in the right vehicles. So not only this, we need to consider your charitable giving and tithes and offering as well. Some churches dispute what 10% should be, the gross of your income or the net of your income, but we'll save those terms for another podcast. What you should know about that is that if you are going to give to your church or charity, that you should allocate some funds for that as well so that your giving doesn't jeopardize your living expenses. And then maybe even if income does slow down, you'll still be able to give a little bit to the Lord's house. Now, all right, everybody, I hope that you're enjoying the show. We are going to take a short break with an inspirational writing called Freedom from Perfection. See, enlightenment is living in the dark. I explore the path to enlightenment, which is being able to shine a light on the dark areas of our lives and not striving to be void of them. Sometimes it takes confidence to say, I don't have it all together. But that is where the healing starts. It ties in perfectly with constantly seeking counsel, to improve ourselves. As always, I will see you on the other side of this blessing. There is an idea that people will do anything, no matter how absurd, in order to avoid facing their own souls. But one doesn't become enlightened because they simply imagine being this figure of light they become enlightened by making the darkness conscious. What that means is that we all are light, but we cannot shine unless we are willing to admit to our own darkness. See, we all want to claim this enlightened status because we talk about love, respect, or how to live this Zen-type life. But all that stuff is already in you by the grace of God. What is stopping us from becoming enlightened is our willingness to ignore our own shortcomings. We want to turn a blind eye when it comes to the faults that we see. 
and we want others to accept our faults as if they don't see them. And if we do admit we have them, we don't take the time to correct them for our own sake and for the sake of humanity. We hide behind the words of acceptance. But if you don't honestly accept yourself, how can you ever place that responsibility on somebody else? See me, I had to do that one day. I had to tell myself that no matter what people thought, I didn't have it together, that I needed help. And that's when the magic happens. When I proactively look for faults so I can correct them as soon as possible, I apologize quicker. I forgave myself more often. And I search for what I can do to correct it. So all we have to do is stop going to great lengths to lie to ourselves. I promise you, if you do these things, your mind and your soul will become free. It's going to hurt, but it's going to be worth it. I hope that you enjoyed that piece. Even in the financial world, we are not going to be perfect. There are going to be times we doubt ourselves and times we will want to give up. But I'm here to say that when in doubt, figure it out. Be free from trying to be perfect and just focus on trying to be. See, our next topic is going to be a perfect example of when we might not have been perfect when we took on more debt than we can handle, either through volition or negligence. The final topic is this, debt. And should you pay it off before investing? If you have debt, can you invest? Now, this is a sticky situation because there are many schools of thought on this. Many believe that if you are paying 21% on a credit card or loan and you can potentially make 25% in the market, why wouldn't you invest? Well, to keep it very simple, the reason why in my opinion, is because the stock market is not guaranteed, but being charged 21% on your credit card or loan is. See, we see the same philosophy on mortgages, but this may be a little different situation. The problem with investing money and potentially receiving a higher return than your debt, many people don't take that growth and put it toward their debt once they receive it. Let me give you an example. Let's say that your mortgage is 5% and you gain 10% in the market, but most don't take those earnings, which would be taxes, short-term gains, which is based on your tax bracket. So as high as 37%. Now let's say after taxes, you still get maybe a 2% gain. Once again, the profits are probably not going to the principal of your mortgage, maybe going to buy some more shoes. Therefore you really aren't moving that needle. So it may cost you more to invest, especially if an emergency comes up. In another episode, we're going to talk about low mutual funds and sales charges as far as how you buy your investments or what you're invested in that changes some of these numbers around. But I think the idea you need to take in consideration is that, yes, if you hold it for longer than a year, you you have capital gains tax. So it's only a maximum of around 20 some odd percent and you don't have to pay for your you know, it doesn't, it's not charged as your regular income. I, I get that. There's a lot of variables that go into it. But I think the idea I want you to take away from this is that that is also a financial strategy, which some clients cannot stick to. So in theory, it works. But as far as being practical, especially for beginning investors, 
um, it may not be the right choice. And that's why I said it's a sticky situation when it comes to that. Now, in the meantime, once again, I think you should speak to your financial advisor on what you should do with your debt. But I think it's also a good idea to set up a strategy to lower your balances in any case, right? So this does a couple of things. Now, I want to give you another warning. There's some financial jargon coming your way. But this strategy, it increases your debt to income ratio. And what's your debt to income ratio? This is the amount that you owe to creditors versus how much you make. The higher the ratio or the greater the dollar amount from which you owe and what you make, it helps with your credit scores and can help you get better rates on future purchases. So it doesn't just save you money in the short term, but it will save you money in the long term as well because it frees up what they call cash flow. And that was one of our words on a previous show. So if you missed it, go back and check out some of our other podcasts. But well, this is where you can make a purchase in case of an unexpected emergency. And that's what credit really is for. You know, things that are a little outside of our, our cash flow range. Now, there are two techniques that you can use. One is the snowball technique and the other is the avalanche technique. Now, let's first talk about the snowball technique. This technique is where you pay the minimum on all of your cards and use all the extra money you have to pay the card with the smallest balance. When that is paid off, you take that amount and add it to the next card and so on and so forth until all cards are paid. Now, this is great for those who get satisfaction that cards are being paid off. So let's say that you had a card that was $50. You pay all the minimums on all the other cards and you just pay $25. And then the next time you pay another $25, now it's paid off. Now you take the $25 you're paying, add it to the minimum of the prior card, which is probably $75. Now you put $100 toward that card. And what it happens, it's a snowball effect. It's like rolling downhill gets bigger and bigger and you get to pay off more in your debt. Now the avalanche technique is when you pay the highest interest rate first. You start with the same technique of paying the minimums on all the other cards but then you take on the highest interest rates. Now, this is not as satisfying because it may take longer to get the balances to zero, but this technique will save you the most in interest in the long run. So if saving the most money in the long run is your goal, you can start with this technique. Now, once all your debts are paid and you have a good savings account built up, I think it's a good idea to start talking about investments. If you are a younger investor, just remember that you may be in the accumulation stage. So you'll be buying your homes, buying cars, having children, and basically accumulating debt. That's why they call it the accumulation stage. But as you approach the pre-retirement stage and debts are paid off, you may have more investable assets later on. So don't worry if your cash flow and your extra assets are going to paying off these debts because it's going to benefit you later on in life. So we want to think long term. We don't want to really just focus on the short term. The key takeaway is that you want to make sure you aren't wasting money trying to make money. Let me say that again. You want to make sure you aren't wasting money trying to make money and also not to be tempted to make potentially more money when you have to pay guaranteed bills. You don't want to risk losing your $200 when you could put that $200 towards your debt. If you don't have the investable assets yet, that's fine because if you can save 10% of your money by having a good budget, not paying unnecessary interest and managing your assets, 
that's just as good as making 10% in the market. You know, I tell people, what's the fastest way to double a dollar? Add another dollar. <laughs> so I hope that you've been blessed. That's the end of our show today. But today we talked about seeking counsel from many advisors to make sure the information you are hearing is solid advice. We talked about how much money you need before you start investing. And we wrapped it up around a conversation around debt. So in considering these issues, we want you to pray for discernment from your Lord and Savior so you can make the right decision for yourself. And as always, this episode was created by A.B. Ridgeway, owner of A.B. Ridgeway Wealth Management, a virtual and in-person fee-only advisor that believes that financial advice should be custom made. If you need help figuring out your finances, feel free to reach out to us at 337-414-3686 or visit our website at www.abrwealthmanagement.com and schedule a free consultation. See, at our firm, we practice what we preach. So if you need more information or a better explanation of what you heard today, give us a call and we would love to have a discussion on how we can serve you. I'm A.B. Ridgeway and I'll see you on the other side of your blessing. A.B. Yeah. Cue the music. These people got places to go and things to do. I want to go where the moon shines bright. I want to dance under the stars tonight. Olajuwon Ridgeway is an investment advisor representative and owner of AB Ridgeway Wealth Management, LLC, a registered investment advisor which produces the podcast show and makes it available on its website and through other distribution channels. Olajuwon Ridgeway and any guests on the podcast are providing their own views and opinions and are not necessarily the views and opinions of AB Ridgeway Wealth Management. Nothing on the podcast show should be construed as solicitation or offer or recommendation to buy or sell any specific security. Investment advisory services are only provided to investors who become AB Ridgeway Wealth Management clients pursuant to a written investment management agreement. Clients of AB Ridgeway Wealth Management may hold positions and securities discussed in the podcast. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk and may lose money. Financial advisors say the darndest thing podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for any investment decisions. Instead, please consult with a financial advisor, accountant, attorney, and or conduct your own due diligence.